everybody, and welcome back to the Vishuch VR podcast, the podcast behind the science and design of virtual reality. I am your host, Oz Balabanyan, and with me today is special guest, Lee Vermeulen, who is the lead developer of Modbox VR. Hello, Lee. Hello. And beaming in from Germany, we have Mr. Peter Luckoff. Hello, everyone. Hi, Peter. Hi, hi. So today, this is going to be a fun an experimental kind of conversation about what is the future of uh, creative and mixed reality and combining uh, tracking systems with pass-through cameras and uh, and what is what does it mean to have like physics based physics based sandboxes um, and Lee I guess let's uh, give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself uh, a little bit of your background and uh, maybe tell us how you found yourself in this kind of realm of virtual reality. Yeah, well, uh, I started Alien Trap Games, uh, what we call the game company we have, uh, like 2002 with a game project called Nexius, which is this free first-person shooter for Linux, Mac uh, that came out. And uh, from that, that got pretty cool. successful, but it was a free game. And then so uh, I partnered up with a bunch of people online. And then around 2011, I partnered up with a friend of mine called Jesse, and we kind of made it into an official company. And we worked on our first commercial project called Capsized which was released on Steam in 2011. Back when, when when you released the game on Steam, there was only like two games that released that day. So uh, it was <laughs> a very, very different time to release the game on yeah. Steam. And then uh, we primarily and did... Much harder uh, for indies, right? Oh, yes. Well, I mean, when there's only two games releasing on Steam, we were on the front page for like a week. Uh, and Whoa, that'd, be nice. very hard to, that'd be very hard to do now. Uh, but we, re- we released a few other uh, 2D games and some 3d one of their games was called apotheon released in 2015 and then um around 2016 i think it was uh valve started giving out headsets to steam developers i got the uh hdc vive and then uh, i immediately started working on modbox because uh i i think i tried the vive for the first time at uh, pax that year 2016 or 2015 and then I had the idea for Modbox after trying Tilt Brush specifically. And uh, when I got the Vive, I just like spent a month doing nothing but working on Modbox. Then we posted the first trailer. Trailer got a lot of good responses. And then now after that, we had to make it into an actual product. So uh, <laughs> we we uh, released the we released Modbox the same time as the Vive, and we've been working on it ever since. We have a lot of different projects as a company, um, but. Uh, my obsession mm. is and probably always will be Modbox. Uh, <laughs> so I, I try. I spend like 80%, I'd say 70% of my time on Modbox and 30% of my time trying to run the company besides that. Uh, so we're working on a few uh, P- PS4 titles and some more Steam titles and Modbox. Mm, what was your motivation behind Modbox? Like what, what made you make specifically this very unique application in a sense? And, and what is it actually? How would you describe it? Well, it started with the idea that um, we had a previous building game called Autocraft, which I, which I, it, it's, it's honestly, I, I, I don't think it's that good of a game, especially not worthwhile trying, trying out anymore. But like it, uh, Autocraft is a little bit like Besiege, where you set up these blocks together and you build stuff with these uh, blocks in sort of a grid-like style. And uh, the reason why that grid-like style works for Autocraft is because on a 2D game, you really need that. Uh, like discrete placement. You don't have that sense of depth that mm-hmm. you have in VR and that control. So once I tried uh, the Vive for the first time at uh, PAX, and I tried Tilt Brush and the interface, I realized that you could really have a building game that uh, didn't need discrete blocks. You could have a building game that you could have complete freedom because uh, you really had that sense of depth and 3D awareness that you didn't have in previous uh, building games. Like The reason why Minecraft is so good to build in and is because it's so easy to build the 2D grid I mean, the 3D grid on a flat screen because it's all discrete and you don't need to deal with a sense of depth. Uh, but with Modbox, mm-hmm. I, I really wanted a building game where you could uh, build things at like uh, complete freedom and not be constrained to a grid. Uh, and so the key thing that I figured out the way to do that is as soon as things are touching, they're seen as connected. So you can start to build physics structures and sort of, you know, with complex joints and things like that just based on if they're touching in the uh, edit mode. Uh, 
Uh, so at first, Modbox, mm -hmm. the plan was it was specifically just to make a sandbox game, sandbox physics, you know, just connect a bunch of things together, make Rube Goldberg-like machines. Uh, and so I really mm -hmm. enjoyed that. Um, and when we released Modbox, it was that. It was just like a Rube Goldberg-making thing. And as fun as that is to do and as fun as that is to make for, you know, YouTube videos showing your creations, I don't think that's what everyone wants to really do, make Rube Goldberg-like machines. Uh, so we... The, what Modbox was definitely changed a lot after release uh, into it started out as just a physics sandbox game, but now I see it as sort of a collaborative game development tool that you can uh, uh, both VR and desktop where you can create games, create experiences, set up logic for them, very drag and drop and uh, and then play games, kind of uh, putting together editing and creating games at the same time, I guess. It's kind of like, the way I describe it now, what, Mod, what Modbox is, is a little bit like Unity. It's basically Unity mm -hmm. for beginners, but it's connected always online, and you can edit everything with other people, kind of like a Google Docs Unity sort of thing, and right. with a heavy focus on VR creation and desktop creation now. Mm -hmm. I actually have a UX question. Um, in a sense, what you described is kind of a similar approach when you would compare something like this programming language for kids that Apple has compared to like, you know, the real programming language. So you abstracted a lot of complexity that you see in Unity uh, from the perspective of like, you have some kind of game engine builder, right? But it's like very intuitive because you place everything in VR and you can interact with it. But I was browsing through your Twitter um, page and I, before the podcast and I was seeing that you have also some kind of debugging tools in it. So it seems like you started more from, let's make it super easy and it slowly converges towards, yeah, but actually people need more complex stuff, more complex stuff. And how do you see the two develop future on? Because are you afraid of losing the simplicity by putting more and more features in it? Well, yeah, that's that's definitely a concern. Uh, when we started Modbox, we uh, when I started on Modbox, like the scripting, it was very uh, sort of the usual way that games do scripting, which is this visual scripting system, kind of like, you know, Redstone and Minecraft, where you're connecting things together and you're adding gates and things like that. and kind of blueprint inspired mm. like in a reel and uh that worked okay for the beginning of modbox but now that we get into what you're scripting on the latest version of modbox the unreleased version that we've been working on for a while uh now that you're getting to scripting sort of advanced ai of people you can't really you can't have a hundred nodes that you're connecting and it just becomes a mess and actually 3d doesn't i don't find really helps with those connections like uh it's great to set up mm. in 3d how things spatially connect but setting up the logic between nodes, say a bunch of like N gates and, and such, uh, 3D just makes it worse because it actually even just makes it harder to parse. Mm -hmm. So uh, we've changed our focus in terms of how people script in the game to be more um, like how, how programming is normally actually done, which is like a blocky or scratch approach where you have these blocks that you connect in like a logical uh, logical order, I guess. I think we're making it more complex. We're, we're adding a lot more options of what you can do with the latest scripting, but I hope that it'll be um, just as easy for non-programmers to pick up. And based on the beta testing we've done among our uh, plate, uh, beta testers, it does seem that way that a lot of, because our audience that we found from Modbox is people who are really interested in game development, but just don't, uh, just aren't able to pick up Unity and start doing their ideas. Because uh, we've noticed that the, right. They, they love playing around with it, but the actual syntax of programming language mm -hmm. is what really stops them. Like the dealing with commas yeah. and dealing with how to probably yeah. uh, do everything. So I, it's not that a visual node-based thing is needed. I just think something that handles the syntax for them in a very drag-and-drop interface will really right. help with that. Mm -hmm. right? So uh, that's uh -huh. what I'm hoping we yeah. can accomplish. But, but how do you get the feedback from the beta testers? Uh, right now we have... Uh, we have a Discord with Modbox players, and the, the community is pretty small, but it's it's about as big as I actually want it to be right now of like the hardcore mm. community. But they're a real, it's a really great game uh, community that we have because I I we have a lot of games, so I've dealt with a lot of different types of game communities, uh, and some can be they're, they're different depending on the type of game. But Modbox seems to attract the best audience of these people really interested in game development, really interested in how Modbox is shaping, really uh, understanding of development problems and uh they've been able to just try the latest versions of modbox and give us feedback on it and, and uh show us what they're working on and uh yeah it's been incredibly right. helpful 
Nice. The, that's an interesting comment in terms of the the scale of a community being where you want it to be, and and not growth not being the main metric to pursue. And 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 it's actually something that we also subscribe to. Um, at least what when we're talking about our Discord community and and the conversations we have in there. When you go into a Discord with you know thousands of people, that's such a different world than being in in a community with just a hundred or maybe two hundred people. And and Slack has the same problem, right? Where as soon as things start to scale, the engagement drops off and people just don't can't keep up with the amount of messages that are coming through. So I think, yeah, that's we're in this like interesting, happy medium where there there are a good amount of VR, like VR and AR enthusiasts and people that have the headsets and are, I guess, engaging enough that they want to work with developers back and forth uh, on, on trying these things. Is that kind of what you've seen? Yeah, well, with Modbox, I do intend for it to scale up. Like, I do hope the community, uh, we when we do make our next releases, I, I do plan on sort of actually focusing on marketing it again and, and scaling up the community and figuring out a good way to do that, which is like community moder- moderation and everything like that. But at the moment, with the current version of Modbox, I, I am pretty happy with its size. And that's the thing with Modbox, too, is that you're working on you're creating all this content with a tool that is heavily changing. And then, so I don't mm-hmm. want, I wouldn't want there to be explosion of content at this time until we get their tools a little bit more refined. Um, Cause otherwise right, we'd, right. there'd be a lot that we'd be breaking and there'd be a lot more backwards compatibility to deal with. And you guys were a launch title on the Vive, correct? Yeah, we were on uh, in April nice. of 2016, I guess. Yeah. Nice. I, yeah. I honestly, That's I think one of the OGs. Waited. Yeah. I think we could have waited with Modbox a little bit longer and because uh, the initial impression of Modbox, I think, wasn't the best representation of the game. And I think we could have, uh, we were working on a few other arcadey VR titles at the time that we could have got out instead of focusing on Modbox that I think might have been better mm-hmm. for us. But, uh, you know, I'm pretty happy with the way well, the development happened with it. It's, it was always a very, from the beginning, a very long term project. So. To be fair, like Gary's mod is so big still, and it has been for years, right? Maybe 10 years, 15 years, probably over more than that. And you would imagine Gary's mod in VR would be, or or the equivalent to that would be also super popular. Um, But I guess for Gary's mod, like for the 99% of people that own it, maybe 1% of them make anything that ever either ends up in other people's hands or a video of it right. goes viral so that that, yep. that scale the the yeah the law <laughs> that you need large numbers for for people to actually make things that are scale. economics of scale yeah the uh mm. right the initial version of modbox while it is very like it has the sandbox nature gary's mod it really didn't have the features that were needed like multiplayer i mean specifically multiplayer it was only like uh, eight months mm. after release that we actually get a first version of multiplayer in and that was just play mode multiplayer and uh, yeah, we we really changed what we wanted Modbox to be since then, and because of that, we've completely rewrote the game. Uh-huh. So I do oh, hope with the latest right. version of Modbox that we're putting together that it will have a sort of Gary's Mod type thing where we have a large pe- amount of people that are playing it uh, just to check out the creations, and then you know maybe twenty percent of people that are going into uh, making their own stuff. Um, but uh, let's call it Modbox Two. <laughs> well yeah i just i like i don't know how we're gonna sort of rebrand it but it is like a What's we have been working a long time on <laughs> i i don't know what we're gonna do in terms of <laughs> promotion <and> such <laughs> there are a lot of hats already but i guess we could always add more hats oh nice <laughs> um and i guess another point we should probably touch on is and you mentioned it earlier is the fact that you have a desktop 2d version as well as the vr version and they're both you can work you're working on the same world on the same game uh and and maybe you can talk a little bit about first of all why that decision came along and and i'm sure what what are the things that you learned from that at, that work better on uh doing sim- simple tax simple tasks perhaps on pc and then doing versus doing things in vr well there's a number of reasons uh, like um part of the reason why we started making the desktop editor uh was that uh, there's a lot of things that are better to do in desktop than in VR right now. I mean, maybe that'll change as VR tools get better, but at the moment, something like setting up scripting Agreed. on a 2D plane or editing yep. a lot of text or uh, going through an options menu is uh, a lot better on a desktop window. 
I like I don't mm-hmm. really like some games where you pull a cat's tail or something to change the volume settings. That's not really what uh <laughs> but uh um so we started we we started going down that route with a desktop editor, but it also is just that there's a wider audience and we really want Modbox to be very configurable to like every situation. So like uh you could be playing uh, one person could be on your desktop while you're in VR and you could be, both be playing together. There could be four people on gamepad controllers and you're in VR and you're playing a local multiplayer game or you're editing. One person's editing in, on the VR, another person that's on the desktop connected to another person online where you also have the same setup with like four players. We're just trying to make it so it's uh, configurable for everything from the start. Um, and uh, we want to, and we also just want to expand beyond the VR audience. We want, like, I think, uh, um, I think VR will still be the uh, important core of Modbox. But as a VR player, I want to be able to play with desktop players, and I want to have a very similar experience as much as possible. Uh, so we're yeah. trying to make Modbox games and the way that Modbox is structured be, work for desktop players also. Um, right. And uh, or. And I think to that point, um, having desktop players be not only like inspired by seeing VR players in their own game and and be inspired to actually get a get a headset similar to what we've seen with VR chat. Yeah, definitely. Conversions from 2D uh, from desktop players into buying a headset and then being in VR and because they have more control. Like ideally, you should be able to play, say, capture the flag with a VR player and then just notice that they're able to do things with their animations and their control things differently than you can. And yeah. be inspired to check exactly. out VR for that reason. Mm-hmm. Like a premium, it's like almost like a buying into a premium membership within a game, or like yeah, wearing a special hat. But it's like, oh, you know that that avatar has way more movement and can express better things than I can. But it's also about having, let's say, multiple people in a room. What you mentioned that is like the key feature to making adoption of this technology not to be, you know, the lonely person sitting in a headset, but actually, you know, invite your friends over and start coding with them or, you know, start playing around with them where one has the headset on and other people can interact. Like, I think it's a huge factor for adoption of technology when you are not forced to, you know, use it alone. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, feedback we got from a lot of Modbox players was that they have a lot of friends that don't have VR hardware. And I mean, I, I don't, like a lot of my Steam friends do not have VR and some do and aren't willing to put it on, you know, they they don't like to be in long yeah, experiences. Yeah. So we're just trying to make it work for uh, everyone possible, I guess. Cool. And yeah, another thing we found with the, like, there are things that are way better to do in VR when it comes to content creation, like actual level placement or anything requiring spatial uh, placement and awareness. That is just, you could set up a level so much easier in VR than you can on a 2D uh, window. But uh, doing something like scripting is just a terrible process. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean. right. um and before we move on to your twitter profile which we'll talk about we'll, we'll explain why we said that um <laughs> it, it, in terms of people building games and and experiences in modbox um is it going to have its own kind of marketplace where people are, are downloading these experiences or how what what does it look like from a audience slash game creator side it'll uh the plan right now is to heavily use the steam workshop so it'll be you just upload your creations or your mods. Uh, creations are things made inside Modbox. Mods would be stuff you could make in the unit, the Modbox SDK, which is like actually programming. So like if you wanted to make uh, your own C sharp code to do really specific things, then you could use that. Ideally, you could you know everything could be done inside Modbox. But there's if you wanted to actually mod and create uh, some or take stuff from the Unity Asset Store and put it in Modbox, you could do that with the Modbox SDK and put it on the Steam Workshop. Uh, at the moment, the plan is for everything to just be on the Steam Workshop, so free and downloadable. I do like the idea of like a content creation marketplace, but I don't want to go into that. I don't want to like uh, go into that and force it on, force it to happen. I like if there's good content that people want to buy, then maybe we could figure out a way to make that work. If content made in Modbox is so appealing that people want to buy it, then we'll look into that. But I don't want to assume that's the way that we're going to make money with Modbox. Because I think once you get into content creation and monetizing that, there's so much more problems that, and the community changes. And it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to force that just yet. I hope that will happen. But at the moment, the, the plan is uh, you know, still having uh, Modbox as a, as a paid. Uh, 
either uh, partially paid or maybe we'll have some free version, but there'll definitely be some aspect of Modbox that players are just paying for, and the marketplace will remain free for a while. Cool. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, so one of the reasons why I think it's really awesome to talk to you is because you, okay, so for the last, I guess, couple of months, uh, every couple of weeks, we see a really interesting video that gets posted or that pops up on our Twitter feeds. And it involves you with a, either a Vive headset with some sort of like stereo pass through headset doing a mixed reality, uh, experiment and, typically involves like a desktop display that's a magic window into a VR world, or it's like you meshing yourself with a uh, stereo lab headset. So uh, for, for our audience listeners, we're going to have all of these videos and these clips that we're going to talk about linked in the description. And as well as it's going to be on our Twitter profile as well. So if you follow us there, you'll see uh, all these clips retweeted by the time you're hearing this. Um, so yeah, maybe Lee, you can kind of help uh, walk us through some of what you're working on here and maybe talk about some of the implications that you see uh, that come from these experiments. Because I, I really do think they're extremely unique um, and there's a lot to learn. So well, let's let's start with the... Uh, sorry? Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, with... Context. Um, yeah, what happened pretty much is that I always envisioned Modbox as uh, good for AR building. Uh, when you have a... We're trying to make an AR app you have to really configure it to work in everyone's environment. And so the ways to do that are to have it procedurally sort of set up based on the environment, or you could have it more that like Modbox where you can actually configure it entirely based on your environment. Like I could, I can position stuff and set it up specifically for my environment. So the first thing we did with the first idea I had that I wanted to explore was this idea of controlling the lights in my house inside Modbox in an AR environment. So you you download Modbox, you'd connect it to your Hue lights with the API, and then um, you could configure in your mod, creations made in Modbox to control the lights. There's so many ideas I had to go along with how you could integrate lights in an AR app, but we just didn't have, uh, there was no way to do that with an AR headset right now. Um, and I specifically needed one that was easy to, to use, like uh, with SteamVR. Uh, so when I saw the this uh, Z Mini by... Um, uh, stereo Labs. Yes, stereo Labs. Yeah, which yeah. is an AR pass-through headset. Uh, well, kind of, oh, uh, yeah, that's the one right there. Uh, but uh, it's an AR pass-through headset that uh, AR pass-through camera. They attach to your Vive headset, and then it feeds the uh, the uh, image into the v your VR headset. There's a little bit of latency. It's mm -hmm. not the, a perfect experience, but once you get used to it, it's great for VR prototyping. Like it's uh, mm -hmm. it's beyond anything right. a VR device can do right now in terms of it allows, it has great depth sensing, it has great uh, uh, mesh specialization. It's it's fantastic for what it is. Uh, but as a consumer product, you I don't think uh, AR pass-through is gonna be the one the thing that hits because it's just not, it's not a pleasant well, experience. Yeah, I think unless it's done by first party, and even uh, I'm I'm gonna contradict myself uh, because Vive Pro has a stereo pass through um, camera, but even that has like I think what is it fifty to hundred milliseconds of latency. Yeah, that sync that's that's frame rate. <laughs> no. So you can set up the frame rate up to ninety, right? But it's still mm -hmm. kind of. Hmm. Uh, the Z Mini is better than the Vive. I actually haven't. I have a Vive Pro, but I've yet to try their AR pass through, which I really should. But the Z Mini uh, mm. supposedly has like a maybe a, a much lower latency, but it's still, mm. it needs to be absolutely perfect for AR pass through to not feel uh, motion, to not feel right. motion sick. Also, it's just, there's no way for it to work perfectly because the, the, the cameras on it are never going to be where your actual eyes are. So it doesn't matter how good the latency get. Doesn't matter if you pass through instantaneously. It's never going to be. A, it's never going to feel like actual AR. But it's for actually just prototyping mm -hmm. our ideas and what the what headsets could be once they you know once the headset comes out with like waveguides or something like that to actually do this uh, properly. Then it's a great idea for prototyping ideas and showing what could be. I guess. So, I, okay, I'm going to push back on it a little bit because I I really do think there is. Um, a lot to the idea of pass-through AR being the stepping, a, a really stepping stone for AR, but not just for, you know, six months, but for perhaps for a few years. Um, having seen, you know, tried a good amount of waveguide displays now and, and having access to a Magic Leap now as well, like, 
Waveguides have a lot of problems, and FOV is not even the main problem. It's like, right. I'm talking about color. Just just the fact that you have all these color weird issues. You don't have any true blacks. You have a, a lot of issues that come up with it that perhaps maybe pass through AR will act. If you let's say we eliminate latency, right, and we have uh, micro LEDs that ha can turn off pick subpixels down to you know black and all the way up to like a thousand nits bright white um i think that could be a really really compelling experience to have a very wide fov um really color accurate display and then even doing like ambient light um analysis of, of virtual things in the room and the, where the light source is in the, in the real room is i honestly if i were to bet something on like apple's what apple is working on with their headset i think it might be some sort of a pass-through because the company uh. they acquired vervana uh was working on that and Anyway, so maybe think, uh, maybe you're right. Uh, maybe that can't be done, but right. we'll see. Well, it's just I, I don't think it's ever going to be consumer facing exactly AR. That's a really good thing. But I, I do think mm -hmm. there's a lot of opportunities in uh, um, showing Preparing. the environment, but in an abstract sense. Like you could you could show the uh, you could you know quickly render it and actually put it in VR, or you could do a lot of tricks that it, it that. Uh, where you're still actually in VR, but it really accurately shows your environment in an abstract in an abstract mm -hmm. way. Uh, right now, mm -hmm. the ways that that works is pretty terrible. But I think that I think there's a lot of opportunities there. So I would love to play the Modbox right. um, in my living room and fight drones, but not feel like I'm disconnected right. from the real world. And for that to happen, I don't think it necessarily needs to be like a direct video feed, but it does need to show where my walls are exactly. It needs to show when a person's right. walking up towards me. Uh, yes. It can't just be the guardian system. It's got to be a lot more advanced than that. So even even in that way, I think uh, the idea of an AR builder in my house with an abstracted sense has a lot of value. So that's where we see Modbox too is like uh, uh, crafting things for your environment as you have more awareness of your environment going forward as you know these devices get better. You know, it's funny you just say that because last week we had Tippy Tat uh, the from the VR fund on and he was saying the exact same thing he was like if you want to build an ar app today don't start with mobile ar start mm -hmm. with building your your app in vr uh with a vive with two six off controllers um and that will give you a much better a closer representation of what ar should yeah. be like um, i definitely like i i don't really have a lot of interest in non in things without six off controllers i like one of the things i love most yeah. about vr is just interacting with physics and uh, there's just no way to do that with the current AR nice. uh, systems. They make good videos, but there's not a lot of actual game interaction that you can really have. <laughs> they do make good videos. It's uh, when, when the whole portal is, is yeah, f filled up with virtual things and feels like the, f you know, it feels like what the video looks like, but it, the video yeah. is just as far out as you can see. So <laughs> with that, uh, um, what would you, what should, Oh, sorry, what was that? I was going to say, what should we, what, what should we move up to, or what's the second oh, step? Well, with this, the cute uh, lights video, the saga, uh, it was specifically kind of showing how games can interact with lights in like your house lights. So in the video, I, I set up these. I'm controlling the lights with the like a color menu, like the color of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I set up a little game where I put a bunch of blocks in the world, and then when I shoot them out with the bow and arrow, the light turns off as if I shot at that light. Mm. So this is setting it up in the game. Like I actually placed those and I set up logic to be like, when this, nice. when this uh, block breaks, turn off the light. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly how you would actually want to set it up in your house, but I can see it being like, um, so you're playing a game and you want every time the, to get hurt, the lights flash red, or you want to actually do a fade into different environments. You fade the actual lights yep. and have like a fade effect between scenes. Uh, there's just so many applications of something like that, but I see it as like you'd want to configure this exactly how you want uh, this uh, this to work. Yes, um, it's absolutely a really good idea. I think even for people that aren't playing the game, right? If you're a kid playing a certain game and then your parents are walking in, you want you also want your, their parents to have certain context of what they're doing. So maybe if one of the hue rights is red to mean you know that's the lava environment that right. it's trying to avoid, or like you know like there's a lot that. Uh, moving forward, if we're thinking everything in our rooms are is going to be IoT or whatever connected, um, it does make sense to have it connect with the spatial games that we're playing, uh, and and have have it be responsive to both you as a user, but also other people to have context as to what you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, how often um, do we, you know, bump into walls or, you know, actually, how often do I need to avoid someone hitting me with a controller when I show them VR? It's a pretty common issue. And when we could, you know, what you described previously, somehow abstract the real world and fit it inside, uh, you know, the virtual environment, we could be like really having those superpowers. You know, I point my hand at the light, it turns on and stuff. It's just really showing somehow exactly what we expect from augmented reality in a sense. Like this is what right. everyone wants. This is yeah. true spatial computing and it's like yes. deep, deepest form. Yeah, you, you do like... Uh... I do see it that you would need to set it up with your house. There's no way to just install a hue and for it to spatially know where the hues are and things like that. So some sort of application like this is definitely going to be required for uh, yes. with actual spatial awareness and tracking of the environment completely. Um, yeah. I'll say one more thing before we move on is um, there are now TVs that it used to be, I think, Arduino boards that you had to kind of set up and, and put mm. up led lights behind your tv to do this like kind of color extension of what's se what's yeah, being seen on, on the yeah. screen i think now that's starting to become a feature with displays and desktops and monitors um to mm -hmm. kind of have your room be a part of you know your screen be a part of your room yeah. yes. so i think there's something to this idea moving forward is having your lights be a, a spatially connected with your spatial computing apps whether it's a game or or or, or anything um, or imagine like seeing you want to send a file from one computer to the next or like from one phone to the next, okay. like sending it and seeing the lights actually change the color as this file is going down right. the path of your room. Like, mm -hmm. something, I don't know, something silly like that. Just connecting everything, space, like spatial awareness to all the Internet of Things devices. Yes, because honestly, programming, this whole Internet of Things stuff, uh, when you own it, it's really a mess. Like you always have to use yeah. some kind of third-party APIs, EFTTTs, and your Chrome stick cannot talk to Alexa, so you have to build some kind of server in between that you have to host yourselves, and you need to tell your Alexa to actually connect via Bluetooth to the phone, and then you need right. to set it up. And if you could actually go and point with your controller and click on it and, you know, set a timer, it's way easier than, you know, saying it yeah. out loud. I mean, you can still trigger commands and stuff, but a few things would be so way easier when you could just, you know, actually take like a virtual cord and, you know, put it between two objects and just, you know, yeah, then just say, being able do to this. Say, say that one rather than have a name yes. for it, like office yes. to light. It's much, we're, mm -hmm. we want to be able to be say, turn that light off and like literally uh, yes. point to it. Uh, this other video so, that I that posted mm -hmm. the, uh, I guess on this podcast, people can't really see the videos, right? But uh, uh, there's the next video. It? Yeah. Yeah, the next video that we posted that I tried out was the idea. I wanted to show how you could actually set up games in the AR experience. So this doesn't really use a lot of AR-specific ideas. It's more just showing how the interface would sort of work in a... So this is setting up something like Space Pirate Trainer, like a drone-based uh, mm. game. And you can see that the like I'm using an edit mode to add objects to the level, and then I'm uh, placing in weapons, and then I uh, add in... I guess I don't really show adding a few... Like adding actual logic to... Uh, the game, but that's in there also. So the drones are aware of, uh, you know, where the walls are. There is occlusion when they're moving down, just because the mm -hmm. Zed Mini has, uh, like, uh, can do mesh specialization to actually figure out where the the mm -hmm. gliders are against the wall. Uh, I can't remember if I showed in this video or not, but one thing, one part of it that I really liked was uh, actually it might be the next video. Uh, yes, yeah, this one right there, where I show how I edit the game. And I can actually change the AR world. Like I can, uh, I use the grip controllers to scale the thing I'm working on. And mm -hmm, I, I think mm -hmm. this was hard just to describe in the video, but it was really essential to uh, to uh, craft AR things specifically for my environment. Like if I want to say configure a light in my kitchen uh, and like really detail how it looked or something without actually physically getting up and going there, I could just use the grip controllers to scale the environment, just ah. like I do with the VR thing. But the, the essential point, oh. the essential thing was that uh, I need to to have awareness of what I'm editing. I need to show what it what it is that I'm changing. Uh, so I hope I, I think I'm gonna I make think... a new video to describe this idea later. But at the moment, I just show right. where my play area is. So you can see, like on the mm -hmm. video, I'm manipulating right. the environment right. and I'm scaling it, and I'm always showing where my play area is. Just to give me a sense of reference. But I I think I'm gonna make a video showing the idea that. Once you scan your room, I could then manipulate my room and it could show me the scanned room and I could edit the fine details and like scale around it with the grip without actually having to. Mm -hmm. So a I technical that question. Be... Yeah. 
Um, so as far as I understand, if you would just rely purely on the Vive Pro, you would not have this uh, mesh reconstruction, right? No, oh, it has that. It has, I, it, uh, from what I've seen, it has the mesh reconstruction, actually. Ooh, I so then you could it. actually do similar, is, okay. Okay, yeah, interesting. Like, uh, you know, hopefully, like the future VR headsets won't need a, a Guardian system, because there's no reason to need to set up... The idea of right. setting up yes. where your walls are, it should just be able to auto detect that. So uh, I think that's yep. I think that's definitely going to be the thing going forward. All the like even the VR headsets, even without AR pastor, will should have that capability of scanning the environment and understanding it. Um, so yeah, I'm hoping that I I can demonstrate the idea of putting in the environment in uh, in and then showing how you can scale and manipulate that to edit it. If mm. if I may, actually, this this makes me think of maybe one way of really uh, showing that would be starting with a scale at one to one, so that the lights uh, and have these triggers there, but then you scale it down so that everything comes to you to a chessboard size, yeah, uh, chessboard size, and then you manipulate certain things, and then you zoom it back out to one to one. And yeah, that's exactly. Uh, I'm I hoping think. I'm hoping to explore that idea soon. I I think that's the next thing we're gonna try, but uh, I, that. The hard part is just actually getting a an understanding of the like a good frame of reference. Uh, right now, all I show is like the play area, which is just like that cube thing. And then as you scale and rotate it, the play area changes. So it's just not enough to really understand what you're editing. You need like a full mesh of the room Makes to really get it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're you're totally right. And I think with like seeing how Magic Leap does its meshing, it it actually creates the mesh in unity's uh j just in as as a you know game object in unity and then you can see exactly how things are lined up maybe, maybe if um stereo lab does something similar but yeah it's pretty much um, that is super cool right um and i i completely agree i don't think guardians will be a thing hopefully by second generation yeah you every headset well, will have its own some you know some sort of I meshing could capability. argue for a guardian system because it reminds you that you have walls but that's the only I mean, positive. But well, I mean, as a default, as a default, you shouldn't have to. It should yeah. just show you where things are, and it should be doing it very, like, you know, maybe thirty times a second, even, so that you yeah. see human beings walking into your place. Absolutely. Not like, you know. Well, at the very least, if there is a setup period, you're not manually walking around with the controller. You just like look around, understand the environment, and then then it knows where to stop you in VR. Mm. Right. Uh, um. Oh yeah, yeah, these are these are just like I I'm trying to make Modbox work and everything. So I did a few videos of exploring AR core with the menu system, but we have no plans to make a mobile AR version of Modbox anytime soon. Why not? Uh, just the interface isn't there yet, yeah. and uh, six off controllers, and I'm I'm waiting to see. I haven't tried that six what six dot AI startup. I guess I haven't tried their stuff yet. Mm. But AR mobile AR is so limiting right now, and that it has no it doesn't remember environments. I can't do multiplayer um there's a lot of things that's missing but may uh, that was when i checked it out a year ago i i haven't looked at the latest right. tools for that yet um, yeah according to ios 12 it it does have both of those things but it yeah but uh, limitations for interaction single yeah. stills area right I also really don't want to be an Apple developer, so I don't. I have. I haven't owned a. <laughs> I haven't owned an Apple product ever in my life, and I don't plan to, and I hope not to. But I imagine I'm going to have to, for AR development. I'm oh, hoping okay. to just hire an, an Apple programmer and never actually have to deal with it. Uh, so I've been. I've been it's looking. Like I've been following. Uh, yeah, I've been following uh, startups like that Six Dot AI company to see how, see if they can do it on Android, and then I'll explore it then. I think six is it six D dot AI? Yeah, six D dot AI. That, that's that's it. Right. Okay. Yeah. We should we should they they should be uh, a potential next guest to talk about because yeah they they have some pretty incredible meshing capabilities on mobile. So uh, should we talk about this video next? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, sure. This uh, this one I uh, I can't remember where I got the inspiration for to try this stuff, sort of stuff. I think I saw a video where someone did the the ring. Where the girl walked out of the screen or something like that using mm -hmm. AR kit, mm. uh, and then so you know I I don't actually put a lot of effort into these videos usually like this is just like <laughs> uh, one night I I had the idea to position the Unity camera where your monitor was and then so you get a glimpse into the virtual world and so I just mm -hmm. tried it 15 minutes I'm like oh that's cool I should make a video so I turned on the video record and I made uh, this quick video to show the uh, capabilities here. 
there wasn't a lot of direct applications I had in mind when I did this, but I think it it's possible that there there's a lot of cool games so many you can make with cases. this idea. Yeah. Uh, so many use it, cases that, even outside of gaming, honestly. I mean, imagine you're doing your fine editing of your cut model on your uh, nice, sharp screen. Yes. And then, you know, you just take it out of the screen with your, you know, magic leap or whatever. Then the f visual fidelity is not good, but at least you can see it in 3D. Yeah. And then the, you put it the in the high fidelity like, screen. The main thing that's required for this to work is the monitor needs to have, like, awareness of where it is spatially. Uh, and at this, at this, mm. this version that I had is not that good this the one i made this first video on the next video that i did of the same idea yes had a lot better understanding of well it had understanding of where the headset was it tracked where the headset position was and from that changed the perspective of the camera and i used this tool mm -hmm. called the picture window to do that uh and i think what that is, is the way that it would work. guess guess who made it I guess we made it. It's Deprecated Coder, one of like our OG listeners of this Ooh, podcast, yeah. and and yeah, we he he hangs out with us in our in our meetups a lot. Yeah, it um, it is I'm a fantastic tool. tool. Yeah, it's it's really it's really uh, well done. When I tried it out, I I think I'm gonna uh, integrate it more into Modbox and actually make it a feature that players can check out. But now that like mm. that virtual window, the way that it works now is that the virtual window tracks the head and changes the perspective of the head. So it's complete, you're completely accurate what mm. the screen shows of what it should show there. Before it was uh, like it gave a cool effect, but it, it wasn't uh, it was very flat and there was no way to mm. represent what the camera so, should see on a flat screen like that. Let me let me just take a second to explain to our listeners here like what we're looking at. So, um, yeah, Deprecated Coder made a uh, an app or I guess a tool for Unity where your desktop monitor can become a virtual mirror, just a mirror into your VR space. So, depending on where your headset is, when you look left and right, that virtual monitor that monitor that you have becomes a holographic display into your virtual world. So, the video that we're looking at here is Lee throwing balls at like virtual balls with his Vive controller into his monitor and it goes into his monitor and then he peeks around his monitor to look behind it and he sees the the virtual ball <laughs> kind of keep going through it so it's a it's a very interesting blend of like mixed reality with with already existing um displays and i really like i think these sort of interactions are going to be the bread and butter of, of like this next spatial computing mm -hmm. uh thing that we're moving past like it it's so, it's so magical looking at it you know how could it not be um, yeah i i don't set, i don't start with these the, experiments i don't show the setup period for this but picture window actually has a really great setup process that ryan created because the initial video i did before was that i actually just manually set the unity camera to be where i thought the uh controller was and it was a very manual process of like slowly adjusting it. Uh, but with this, what what you do is that with the Vive controller, you say, this is the top left edge of the window. Here's the bottom right of the window. And then that that completely right. knows how to set it up after that. Uh, so it, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really smooth process. I like, um, I'm hoping to integrate it into Modbox. I'm not sure what the appeal would be for people who don't have the AR pass-through, <laughs> but I think it would still, right. it's a very cool idea. Like I could see it being that, you know, people watching you play the game, they have an idea of uh, of what you're looking into, I guess. But we'll mm -hmm. see, I guess. We'll see. I, I think a, uh, and just, part of the idea of just giving it spatial awareness. You're like telling the monitor where it is, and then from that you add all these capabilities. Uh, I'd love to do the same experiment with a monitor that I can move, sort of tracked with a Vive Ooh. tracker. But uh, mm. I, I, I have a lot of things to do. I haven't done that yet. I mean, I feel like that would be an iPad with ARKit, right? Like that's, oh a, that's yeah. a tracking monitor that doesn't even need a secondary tracker. Um, yeah, that's part of the reason why we made. Yeah. I quickly made a, a Modbox AR experiment with uh, uh, AR Core was I wanted to try that idea of, that, of it being a sort of a virtual window into someone in VR. Uh, the other thing to do that right would be to share the same. It just needs to have the same spatial. Uh, what's the word for that? Just mm. uh, Coordinates. coordinates i guess yeah um so i don't th i think that's definitely possible it uh it would work just you'd have to network the game but so because it would actually be running on that other machine but uh it it has some cool applications yeah and 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 just uh, as an aside i guess 
I we've talked about holographic and like light field displays that aren't here yet, but perhaps might be in the near future. Uh, I, I, I can see that being a, a really nice window for people to be able to see, like peek into these AR and VR worlds and, and for you to be able to interact with them the same way that you are here, but for also for non-headset users to uh, fully understand what's going on yeah. um, by having the a real parallax display. So uh, maybe we'll come back to this in a few years and be like, wow, like, so ahead of Finally. time, you know, like thinking about this. Yeah, I mean, I think so, but. <laughs> I mean, there actually was, it was some point this experiment from Microsoft uh, Research Lab, I think, where they installed few uh, projectors and they projected mm -hmm. actually the virtual world with the projectors on top of the real world. And when you would move around, it somehow tracked you. It was like a super complex setup, but then you would kind of use the real rooms that they map basically with the projectors, the virtual room on top to see characters and stuff. I think it was like the first, uh, you know, the first trials. Now we see it more sophisticated because honestly, like when I see the videos that you posted, I'm like, yeah, I want to use a data. I don't care if it lags. Like, I really have use cases for it because this is exactly what I right. expect from, you know, my device. This is exactly how I expect, you know, machines, computers, and this whole spatial mm -hmm. stuff to interact because it's not about, yeah, yelling at some device in the end of the room. It's not about, <laughs> you know, taking a phone and looking at the small screen where I observe something in the real world. I mean, what's the point? Like, the point is that I want exactly that. And even if it's laggy and stuff, I don't care for the next few years. I mean, I expect, you know, at some point uh, we might have digital lenses or digital eyes or whatever. But like, this is exactly what I think everyone deep down after watching so many sci-fi movies wants. This is the, like the dreams that we are all having, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, AR is it's definitely the thing that tying fun. everything together. It's a, it's a fun <laughs> thing to experiment with, definitely. And this is how technology should be. I mean, you have also this video where you have uh, a person uh, that is doing multiplayer with you, right? Where she's uh, basically a character, but next to her, and then you're fighting the virtual character. And I, I mean, it could be also some kind of training for combat or, you know, training for whatever. Like, there's so many cases you could do exactly that. Or even when you go totally nuts, you know, you're think, in your uh... virtual room, and then you actually let someone come in your meshed scan and then they see your room and you are an avatar in your room and you see them as an avatar in their room. Even that could possibly be right. Yeah, uh, we, uh, oh yeah, there it is, uh, that one, yeah. Um, yeah. Ah, yes. This was the kind of show, like, she was actually in VR, so she sees a VR environment in mm -hmm. this video. Uh, and then I'm seeing her in my AR space. So it's offset a little bit just so it's a different character. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, the idea was that you could play with, you'd be playing with people in AR, uh, like she could be in another environment completely mm -hmm. would be the ideal scenario. And you'd, and she'd be located in your room and playing with her and you could, uh, have different scales. There wasn't really like the, the multiplayer was really just what's being shown off here. And I do think that's going to, mm. um, I mean, there's already people doing that with a magic leap doing, uh, AR to, uh, mm. AR multiplayer pretty successfully. Um, and to right. VR, yeah. Um, so I think like uh, maybe it's the case that someone with a Vive headset could connect to someone with an, uh, you know, the next uh, next gen Magic Leap and connect and and just talk through there. Uh, Is I there anything that's that's doing that yet? That's like connecting different tracking system, like different coordinate systems uh, with different tracking systems and different headsets, having some sort of a shared space. Um, not really that I know of. Like, I, I think when we looked into using Magic Leap and the Vive, uh, we'd, we would definitely have to do some work to make sure they had this same coordinate space. Like, you could definitely have it so someone in another room entirely is using a Magic Leap and you're connecting to it with the Vive. Uh, I haven't seen someone do that yet, but I think I could do that with Modbox in like a day, probably, just because the right. running on Android. But, uh, I think the the actual the problem is trying to connect it to the same coordinate system. It's not going to be an automatic automatic process yet. I the way I would do it now is just hook up so, a vibe tracker to the Magic Leap. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that might that might be a good first step. Um, and I think the this might be our final clip that we'll talk about is um, oh, yes. and actually this ties back in with our episode with uh with Aldis from IBM. Mm who right. does a lot of research. Uh, so yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you what we're seeing here? Uh, well, I, I read this, uh, I think Leap Motion had a post where they talked about um, using, uh, showing ping pong with a, their AR headset, that Project Northstar. Mm -hmm. 
And they talked, they had one brief mm. sentence where they said like, well, maybe someone could train in AR to be better at ping pong because you could do stuff like show trajectory and stuff of the uh, ping pong ball. Mm. Or maybe it was training, yeah, it was training entirely at AR. So the, the ping pong ball in the example wasn't a real ping pong ball, but it was just an AR experience. But based on that, they mentioned that you could, uh, you could tr base, because it's all virtual, you could show all the trajectories of the ping pong ball and actually get better at ping pong. Uh, so I really love the idea of displaying information to the user to give them the of the player to give them sort of superhuman abilities and then to just based on yes. tracking the real world and uh doing calculations on it um so i wasn't sure how i was going to do that first like i i initially thought okay ping pong ball or i'll have to tr i'll have to track the ping pong ball so when you're looking at it i'll have to use you know uh i have to understand what had the velocity of the ping pong ball i have to like virtually create it and virtually stimulate it and look up trajectory math mm -hmm. and all that stuff and it got really complicated so i didn't do it but then when i <laughs> i realized that uh like i could just use the vibe controller which is perfectly tracked mm -hmm. position and velocity and then i also realized that rather than having to simulate this myself like figure out the actual physics i could just run the unity physics system so like uh, there's a way to run Unity physics sort of ahead of time where you can be like after you set up the rigid body mm. and the uh, positions and everything, you could just run it all in one frame three seconds ahead of time and then get the result Ooh. from all of those uh, collisions. So based on that, I uh, we added a rigid body to the controller. So it always has a controller and then it's a collision mesh. And then uh, we just run the simulation three seconds of what it should what should happen to it based on its current velocity and position. So it does collide with walls and it shows you the tra trajectory uh, right now. And so I really like- uh, Yeah, I love that. I love that the trajectory bounces off your desk and the wall and like it's, it's and that's all based on the, the, the Stereolabs uh, camera, right? Yeah, like it, uh, the collision is actually found by the Stereo Habs. It's not updated in real time, but it's just something that was pre-scanned, the collision in my room. Hmm. Uh, the bouncing of the controller is a little bit on, it's not realistic right now because when it did actually have realistic physics values for the bouncing, it was pretty boring. Like it's, uh, you sure. know, throwing it against the wall, <laughs> which naturally happened, it should barely bounce at the wall, then just slide down. And that didn't give us as, as good of visuals to mm. say that it was physically bouncing as if I had just upped the, the uh, bouncing of it. <laughs> you, you should really totally actually get like one of those wife, wife controllers. Uh, uh, life trackers and actually build this cage that we discussed with uh, in the IBM episode and make it bounce. So take some kind of 3D material that is a little bit flexible and put the uh, tracker in it so it's kind of protected <laughs> but still has enough thing and then you can actually do this bouncing ball stuff. Just don't break it. I think that's more windows. something for an actual research center yeah. rather than my, <laughs> my half an hour Twitter videos. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, w one thing about this, the video that we made here is that uh, it 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 doesn't display the information good enough to actually be better than sort of what your brain can do right now. Like it it shows you the trajectory, but that doesn't that's not really that helpful in showing in seeing the complete trajectory. And you actually have to put some time to uh, your brain has to like figure it out that that's what the information is conveying. Like right now, I'd have an easier mm -hmm. time catching the controller if someone threw it at me without this than with this. It takes some time for my brain to understand and to process that and understand it's helping me. But uh, lately, but just recently, we I made a new version of this where it just shows you when it shows you the, the where it's going to land closest to your hand. Was the pillows? The video was the pillows, right? Oh no, I haven't. I haven't actually done this. This pillow is just to show what happens when you actually throw it to compare the. Oh, okay. Uh, you oh, know, okay. The simulated trajectory to the real one, and it is very accurate uh, when you're throwing yes. it. Um, but the nice. new video that I, the new thing that I want to try that I haven't really finished yet is that, uh, that I've done some experiments on, it definitely works is that it, rather than show the complete trajectory in the path, it just shows you its position when it reaches the height of your hand. And then, so the, how that's different is that it just shows you a single position and it, uh, and then it's constantly updated where that position is. So like. Uh, say you threw a ball at me, and, it, and when it lands close to my hand, it would show a green display of like uh, uh, where that ball is going to be when it reaches my hand height, and that's constantly updated every frame, so it gets more and more accurate as the ball gets closer. Because like there's always you know air resistance or things that are not actually physically simulated properly. So that constant updating makes it very accurate and actually helps. Like I, I could have someone throw the controller behind my back and then catch it perfectly, just Ooh. based on. Uh, 
seen where, where like at what height it'll land. So I'm excited what, uh, to try that out and show that video because it. I do feel like that's mm, actually I'm, a superhuman ability. I guess. Yeah, please don't break the controllers. I think I need to see it. I'm not. I don't know if I'm understanding it through audits. So imagine you throw something behind your back, so someone's standing behind you and he's throwing a controller over your head, as far as I understood, and you're catching it. And then while someone's throwing it, you already see where it's going to land, and you can like put your hand in front of you and catch it. Yeah. How's that different than the trajectory that you're already showing? Because right now the the trajectory is only calculated when it leaves my hand, and it's and it shows the it shows mm. the complete path, and so that's just calculated once. Uh, a better way to do it is to um, show where exactly where it'll land and then constantly recalculate where that landing is. So like the way that I do that right now is, uh, is based on your hand position, like the height of your hand. So it shows you, this is where it'll land close to your hand. So you better move your hand there, uh, it, rather than the complete path. So just the initial and, and final positions kind of, uh, so that you're putting your hand to where that final position should be. Exactly. It just shows you the final position rather than the complete path. Because you really don't care about the path it gets. You just want to know where you should move your hand to catch it. Um, and so I'm still, yeah, I, th I think I need to change how I describe it before I post that idea, I guess. I think I heard uh, the, the thing that threw me off was you were talking about the height. And I was thinking like the height of the parabola of, of your throat. So oh, like right. Kind of right in the middle, rather, rather at the end. Um, but I guess that's... Well, I meant the height off the ground. Like... The way it works is that right. uh, it calculates it, and then it says, as uh, calculated to the point of when it hits that height position, which is where your hand is, and then display that. So yeah, maybe I'll just have to change how I talk about that. Dude, you're totally right, though. It is, and this is, we talked about this for like two and a half years. VR and AR gives superpowers to human beings. Right? And these are the ways that we're starting to see that happen. And it, and it starts with, you know, enterprise wanting to train their athletes, you know, 1%, 5% better than what they could today. And, and but that comes down and, and starts going into consumer applications very, very quickly. So yeah, it's really cool to see these experiments happen. And and even, you know, even if you're discounting them as just Twitter videos, I think these Twitter videos are are, are how inspirations happen. And how, this is how people get ideas. I mean, you, you said it yourself. You saw the Leap Motion, uh, you know, that the, the video that they posted about the, the ping pong ball. And you're like, huh, like maybe there's something more to, to it there. So I think this is super, super important to... Yes to get people to start thinking about what are the different and weird applications of these uh, of these headsets that yeah. go way beyond uh, what is just initially marketed. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like that's cool. sort of the inspiration of just, you know, showing ideas. So I have like a, I have a notebook with like a bunch of weird AR ideas. Then every week or so I spend an hour trying it. And then a lot of the time they fail horribly. Uh, <laughs> and then sometimes they work out, they just quickly work out. So like, uh, just recently, I was trying to have one where I scan. I wanted to have something where I could scan, say, my chair, and then it turns into a physical object and drops down. Or like, uh, I wanted to scan something and then have it, the physics of it turn on and for it to drop down and to be able to interact with that physics, like that clone of it. Uh, but the space, but like just setting fine details up with the mesh spatialization just isn't there yeah. yet. Uh, so I'm going to keep trying that, but it... Uh, it was a failed experiment, I guess. I, I mesh specialization is really great now for scanning environments, but for scanning fine mm -hmm. details and small objects, it's not there yet. Yeah, it's really an unsolved uh, problem so far. Yeah, I should mention I saw something really promising. Uh, oh, the clone, the yeah, the AR as thing. Well. Yeah, I what saw that was too. that? It's uh, mm -hmm. wait, I gotta find it. Um, no, I'm thrilled. I think that used a sixty AI actually. Uh, that I saw. Mm. Oh, did they? Yeah. Ah, you mean where you scan a person and then you get the whole movement of that person? No, it was that you you can scan uh, no. objects and you can actually send them on iMessage to uh, another person. Uh, huh. I I don't know. Uh, Sorry, it was only like that. a like this week, I think, mm. that uh, they yeah released it. I mean, since one two D one two three D catch is down done, and I haven't found any tools that could do it, like on an iPhone, for example, quickly. Yeah, it seemed like they were using like AR kit for um, oh. to, to do the actual scanning, and then you could copy and paste the what you just scanned in that same AR environment, oh. and then you can even send that object through iMessage 
like the 3D object itself through iMessage. Um, I'm really looking forward to when, you know, the yeah. iPhone can finally scan objects because, or like any phone, right. like any phone. I mean, this is about the iPhone, but the camera qualities are so good, particularly, you know, in the near distance, you have so much detail. You just need some kind of crazy performance leap or maybe some specially designed AI chips on the SOC to, you know, do it yeah. way quicker and way better. It'll have to be. I mean, the the fact that we need there is a huge necessity to map your space just yeah. so that you don't bump into things means we it's like a, it's a byproduct to be able to 3D scan something and actually have the mesh of that, you know, a textured colored mesh uh, of that object. So it's it's like these these needs are growing together. And then there's like one solution that can fit both. Right. Oh, it's the same solution that also drones need. Right. To like, yes. figure out where they are in space. And like it's it's so cool to just see all these things growing together um, and, I mean, and creative artists kind of trying to figure out where, where they can make those connections. Um, I mean, as much as I hate buzzwords, augmented reality cloud or like, you know, augmented cloud, as you know, a lot of companies recently talk about, makes somehow sense because that's exactly what they have in mind, a way to map the world. One thing that I wish AR companies would uh, embrace more is just like uh, um, not trying to do the dream all at once like the dream mm -hmm. is an ar headset that you can walk around you can walk around everywhere and you have track controllers and you don't need a computer and everything like that i i would just like all i need is a ar headset where i can do experiments like this in my in my room hooked up to my computer easily be able to iterate on ideas and that could be the first generation and uh that could be where we had to start we discover the apps we discover what the use cases and then from that get to the point of walk everywhere VR. So like I find uh, experimenting with Steam VR to be by far the best because it has the most accurate tracking and there's no inside out mm -hmm. um, system that has nearly the same accuracy when it comes to the tracking. So something like that, absolutely um, controlling the predicting the physics of that object, the AR video, that just wouldn't be, that just wouldn't be possible yet. And so it's good to experiment with the, uh, the best system that we have, just Steam VR tracking, before when we know that thing's going to be possible later on. When it comes to like when yeah, we can I actually do it entirely, entirely inside out and just with visuals. Do you, have you tried the Meta Two at all, or or any of the other you know headsets, Magically Hololens? I've really only tried the Hololens, and I tried it briefly. Uh, yeah, I you should the, try the Meta Two. Yeah, I, uh, I I've heard that has Steam tracking. I guess right. Mm, yes, um, but, but the good uh, part is it's teasered, so you can connect it to your PC. You can still use a Vive system for tracking because it will be right. superior, but then you have like a decent quality of image compared to, let's say, a HoloLens or whatever. Yeah, I might uh, go down that path. We're, at the moment, we're focused on uh, like uh, uh, getting Modbox ready for desktop players. AR experiments are just experiments. Uh, we don't have a plan <laughs> to release any uh, AR version of Modbox as a commercial product for a while until they had to Oh, man. That's sad. Sure. <laughs> well, Lee, how, now that everyone's heard so much about this, how can people find you on Twitter and how can people find out more about Modbox? Uh, my Twitter is Trap, just one word. And uh, in terms of following Modbox, uh, we hope to be announcing stuff soon, I guess. Uh, and I'll be announcing on my Twitter Sweet. and uh, uh, showing the capabilities of the thing that we've been working on for about a year, which I don't think we've shown enough of, I guess. Awesome. And uh, for everyone, yes, all the links of these videos will be in the uh, description um, and his Twitter profile will be as well. And uh, you can follow us at ResearchVR, at ResearchVRCast on Twitter. Um, and you can find us on Discord as well. And uh, if you like listening to these episodes and you like the conversations that we're having and you want us to keep having these conversations and for uh, for us to be able to pay for the electricity that are that is powering these headsets, please consider supporting us on Patreon. It would be pretty, pretty incredible. Um, and uh, I'll do the out I'll do the outro after this. And uh, and what else should I include in here? Like five stars review. Um... Oh, yes. And uh, and if 
And if you can't contribute to our Patreon, it would be incredible if you could even just leave us a review on iTunes. I think that would really help us. Uh, oops, that would really help us with our rankings and it would help us just get this, the word out more. And uh, if you have any other people that are that are interested in these conversations, you know, that are interested in, in designing and developing in VR that want to learn from the masters, you know, the people that have been doing this for years, uh, it, this please recommend them this podcast and uh, let them know uh, what's going on in here. So uh, that should be all for now. Probably next week we might have our Magic Leap like impressions and Ooh. review thing. I haven't really talked about it much on public cause just because I want it to kind of settle in my own head and I want to see uh, before. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to put out rash uh, opinions yeah. before. Not, not that there are any rash opinions but uh, uh, there's definitely some thoughts there's definitely thoughts that i want to share uh, sp specifically when it comes to the display itself i think that's going to be the thing that i'll concentrate on the most that's the thing that i'm inter interested in the most especially being like a cinematographer that wants a very good display to to work on um and i see hmds really being the step forward for display technology like if you can convince anyone to buy a headset because it's going to be the most high resolution, best, most color accurate display that they can buy in their house uh, for gaming, for video. I, I, I think I see that as a, going to be a big selling point and I mm -hmm. want it, but we don't have it yet. But <laughs> um, all right. So thank you, Lee, again for joining us. This has been a really fun episode and um, and I'll see you guys next time. Yeah. Goodbye. Thanks. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.